Hello, this is Michael with Royal Grown Radio. We're here today with Aaron from Rainmaker. What's happening, guys? And Rick Elliott from Royal Gold. Hey, hey. We're going to be talking about all things cannabis and cultivation today. Yay! Woo! So, Aaron and I have been friends for a couple years now. Rick and Aaron have been friends for a couple years now. Sure we have. We've met through work, through Aaron being head cultivator at Smooth Cannabis and Rainmaker and us being at Royal Gold and became fast friends. We have a lot of the same backgrounds, same hobbies, same adventurous spirit. And uh, we same just, love of music. Same love of music, all sorts of fun things like that. So we've come together in a good way. What brought you into cannabis? A lot of what we talk about here on Royal Grown Radio is how our paths brought us to this point we are today, how we all ended up in this world of legalized cannabis, medicinal cannabis, and found ourselves in these careers that are rewarding, uplifting, fulfilling, and just a fascinating industry. And we've all found ourselves taking these really strange, serendipitous paths that that lead us together with people that we just naturally gravitate towards. And we all the time find these interesting strands of history that tie us together and that we know people from other backgrounds and have crossed paths in other ways over the years. So what is it that brought you to the world of cannabis and landed you here in Humboldt County? Well, you left one thing out there and that's the heartbreak. The truth. We can get into that later, but what brought me into the world of cannabis, um, as a little kid, a very little kid, um, being obsessed with it, uncles, every, I was around it as a child, uncles smoking weed, loving the smell of it. And I remember as a child, like my uncle teaching me how to roll joints when I was a little kid while he was driving, he would like pass me his bag and say, twist one up. So I'd roll these fucked up little joints. Am I allowed to say the fuck word? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, I said the fuck word. Um, he'd pass me his bag and I'd twist up these ridiculous little looking like broken dog leg joints and he'd make fun of me and he'd smoke it. And then he would tell me, don't ever smoke this shit, kid. It'll kill you type of thing. And I just remember thinking like, as soon as I have my first chance to smoke that, I'm smoking it. So <laughs> yeah, I was obsessed with it as a child. Um, started growing really young didn't really know what I was doing, but I, I was always I was always obsessed with it. How can I do it better? How can I do it a little bit bigger? By the time I was in high school, like I was making money at it. Yeah, and it's really similar to my path and a lot of paths, I think. I also grew up watching my uncle smoke joints and you know, they'd take us out shooting guns and stuff and they'd be like, All right, here, load up the guns and they'd be like, All right, run through those clips and they'd go stand off and smoke a J and my cousins and my brother and I are like, what are they doing? What's that smell? And, you know, was definitely pre middle school when we started being like, I think I know what that is. And, and I think I know where to steal it from. <laughs> I think I like it. it. You know, it's, it's funny that our family members are that influence. And at one time that may have been perceived as a bad thing. And, in the world we're at now, it's not perceived as a bad thing. It's perceived as enlightening. It's, it's an amazing substance. And these different paths that brought us to it are not as demonized yep. as they used to be. Yep. One thing I was attracted to was the outlaw lifestyle that was 
growing up in this little town, Boulder Creek in the Santa Cruz Mountains, like it was definitely in the 80s and early, early 80s, like it was definitely an outlaw lifestyle and I was attracted to that. I thought it was cool. Yeah. What's not to like about the outlaw lifestyle? I mean, if you didn't watch Young Guns and want to be Billy the Kid, I don't know. <laughs> yep. you know it's one of those things, you know, as we get further and further into legalization, you know, the more we realize that a lot of that, that faux pas, that stigma that was on there is really what attracted most of us. And once you actually legalize it, all of a sudden kids are like, oh, that's boring. That's yeah. We don't even want to be a part of that. Yep. You go over to Holland, and I remember... The most of the culture over there, they're just like, wow, well, well, boring. You Americans, you silly kids are over here for the cannabis cup. And they just were not thrilled and impressed at all. Yeah. It's not a big deal unless you make it one. Sure. My first time smoking uh, was in the breakdance uh, movement in like 1981. And all the kids in the neighborhood, they were a little older than I was. I think I was a little bit uh, too young to probably be uh, partaking, but... They rolled up a blunt. I had no idea what was going on. And, uh, and then they started teaching me how to break dance. I was the young kid that would get spun out onto the cardboard at the end to woo the crowd. <laughs> nice. Awesome. And that's funny to me because I never really would have associated that, you know, big city, New York, break dance culture with cannabis. Sure. Where I came from in Michigan, it was, you know, either like thug life smoking weed smoking blunts or psychedelic hippies smoking weed there was not really a middle ground and you were either in one of those camps or you didn't smoke weed so yeah, i think there we called it reefer reefer <laughs> madness wow yeah it was straight reefer i don't even know if we called it weed we definitely didn't call it cannabis no still don't <laughs> still don't <laughs> So, Aaron, you work out at Rainmaker and Petrolia. You're head cultivator, grandmaster grower for the Nexus greenhouses. Tell us a little bit about the greenhouses and what you do out there. So, I live in Arcata and commute every day into Petrolia, and it's absolutely the most beautiful drive in the world. It beats the living hell out of my truck, but it's worth it. What a great way to start the day. I mean, I've only done that drive maybe a dozen times in all the years I've lived here. But every time I do that drive, I mean, my heart explodes. I, I might shed a tear. Yeah. I'm jealous of the cows on the, on the ocean side, you know, thinking like, wow, yeah, this is I've, the best place to be a cow. Yeah, what an amazing thing to be able to draw inspiration from every day. You're probably watching the sunrise over the ocean half the year as you roll down the hill, right? For sure. And to talk about what Rick said, like driving to work in, I think it was January, I was driving to work and the sun was just coming up and I'm like, wow, this is such a fucking beautiful day. And I look over and there's a cow like standing there looking really weird. And I'm like, holy shit, that cow's having a fucking baby. And I stopped <laughs> and I have video of it. And, I'm, and I literally have video of this cow standing there and a baby coming out and flopping on the ground. And like, holy shit, I just saw a cow being born. <laughs> right on the coast, like right on the right on the coast. There, it was wow. like definitely a moment for me. So moments like these happen often driving. I see all sorts of cool wildlife. I see an owl almost every day in the same spot. Sort of get to know each other. He comes and swoops down in front of my truck. It's cool. I mean, I can't. That's amazing. We can't talk about Petrolia without mentioning the fact that there are zebras on that road as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's four zebras right on the side of the road. It's pretty cool. I see them almost every day. When we came down to visit last time, 
We all pulled over, got out of the car, and you would have thought there was seven adults at the at the wildlife safari. We thought it was the coolest thing. They were like probably a quarter mile away from us, could barely see them. Horrible pictures. You can barely even see that they're out there. But boy, were we excited. Yeah. We're all out there like tourists, like clicking away on our phone, lining up, take a picture with me and the zebras. And they're, like you said, they turned out terrible, but it was an amazing experience. And then we rolled up and visited you guys at the farm. And for me, the farm just really embodies that whole spirit of the area, the beauty of the drive. You guys have an amazing setup. You got a couple Nexus greenhouses. Tell us a little bit about the square footage and how you guys run the greenhouses. Yeah, so it's about 10,000 square feet. And I mean, you, you guys have both been there a couple times, so you get an idea of what our day-to-day consists of. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a machine. It's a constant machine. It, it runs year, they run year-round, and there's always, it's always busy. It's always, always busy. We're either harvesting or transplanting or having big prune set and leaf sessions. Um, between the two greenhouses, we're, we're constantly in the middle of something. There's never any downtime. Yeah, that makes sense with an operation like that and as tightly run as it is. And, you know, like you said, Rick and I have been there a couple times and it's always clean. The people are always busy on the ground. You guys do a really great job and you have a pretty big crew out there most of the time when we've been there. A few times it's been skeleton crew, but most of the time there's six, eight, maybe 10 people running around, transplanting, things like that. Um, yeah, between the two Nexus houses and all the cold frames, there's definitely a good-sized crew. What are some of the things you guys do to minimize some of the labor? Are, are people out there with hoses, hand-watering every plant? What sort, of, what sort of style do you guys grow in out there? I, in the Nexus houses, we're on rolling table, like bench tables. Everything's hooked up to drippers. Um, I still like to get in at least one hand-watering once a week. Just feel like it's necessary. Um, That's nice and drip to get that full yeah, saturation. Yeah, I, I feel like it helps. Um, I love that approach, too, because it's always been my connection to the garden to make sure that you are saying hello to every plant under your care. Exactly. Otherwise, you miss things. Exactly. And, and with, without those... that, shit gets missed. For yeah, sure. I love that. The once a week, even though you're on drip. I don't see that very often. It's really cool. Yeah, there's a big push for a lot of the larger farms to get the hose out of your hands. And personally, I'm a big fan of that in some ways. You know, you automate so you're not spending all day, every day chasing through the greenhouse trying to water. So you have that nice balance with the automation where everything gets the water it needs when it needs and you can dedicate your energy to the other finer aspects of growing, but yet you take the time to get that one-on-one connection with each plant and actually hit it with the hose for a few seconds. I think that's really cool. Yep. And my morning routine, like I pick a quarter of the greenhouse and every, well, the small, the small house and a quarter of the big house. And I walk through, I'll do a quarter of the greenhouse every morning and walk through it and look at just about every single plant just to make sure everything's on the level. That's what those rolling tables are great too. I love those things to be able to access every, every point in the room is crucial. It kills me to walk into some of the rooms that I see and there's just pockets that you can tell the plants just suffer. Yeah. You know, that, that two foot and, you know, proximity to being able to touch leaves 
you know, check the stem, see the actual soil. It's crucial. Yep. Yeah, the beauty of those rolling tables is you're not wasting any aisle space permanently. You can create the aisle where you need the aisle, when you need the aisle, and then you spread the canopy back out. I think that's really cool. Um, one really cool thing that I experienced out there is I came out with some great friends of ours from Green Planet and Growing Exposed. We had an amazing experience, and listeners out there, you guys can go and check this out on growingexposed.com and see some of the footage and see some of the interviews with myself and Aaron out there and just checking out the whole facility. And really, you can visualize a lot more easily when you actually see the pictures, what we're talking about here. But these guys do things in a way that you don't see. I travel and see farms all over, Rick. You see farms all the time, all over the country. How many farms do you see using these techniques in this way? Not many, unfortunately. I think my days would go a little smoother if I did. I spend a lot of time going to farms and putting my head down and scratching my head and, and trying not to stay there any longer than I absolutely need to because it's hard to not point out all the things that I feel that they could do better. I don't do that when I go to your farm. And it's not because you're a dick. It's because you care. Yeah, like absolutely. When well, I've been do doing better. it for a long time, and there's just there's certain things that you don't have to reinvent and and do it differently. Some things just work the way that they work for a reason. You know, you can adapt new technology and and tweak practices, but there's a lot of gardening techniques that just work across the board, and they work for a reason. I. Th- I really think a lot of the success and a lot of the techniques you guys use come from this long-lived passion that you've had for the plant, too. And a lot of the farms we visit that may have shortcomings in one way or another may have people that are fresh and passionate in the industry, but they don't have the years or decades of passion fueling their knowledge one thing that really stands out to me is you you care about it you can tell how much you care about it you can feel how much you care about it from the finished product to the plants to the nursery tell us a little bit about how that passion drives you i mean my name is on those smooth cannabis jars not literally but like you open one of those jars like some of me's in there like i grew that me and well, my me and my crew grew that. Like I put a lot, a lot into that, and like I want I want you to open up that jar. I got a jar right here. I want you to open up that jar, and I want you to be like, I want you to be impressed. Because I, I mean, I love the weed that I grow. I smoke the weed that I grow. Ah, it smells so good. You know that was yeah, extremely evident at this year's uh, Emerald Cup, where you came into the booth that we had, sat down, opened up a couple of jars, and everyone within about thirty feet of our booth all spotted you they all knew where those jars came from and everybody was impressed michael and i talked about it for weeks after that that you see that happen and it was very noticeable everyone noticed that happened within 30 feet of that booth when you did that there is no question from anyone i talked to at that event that saw that and was a part of it that that was the finest cannabis we saw at the emerald cup this year and you know opening this jar of amazing chem d it's chunky, it's fuely, it's got that deep musk that really tickles the back of your throat that 
only really the Chem and the Sour D strains have. There's nothing else that has the fuel like that Sour and the Chem. And obviously the Chem's a building block of the Sour Diesel. And just about every other strain. Absolutely, it's really a standout. There's nothing like this in the world. You, when you have that passion, you hit this kind of tier of cannabis that there's nothing better. There may be something as good, something a little different, like the Sunset Sherbet we were talking about from the Emerald Cup. It was amazing. It had that sweet floral note and it had that really bluish purple hue. Expertly crafted, but it's on that top tier of cannabis. It doesn't get any better. It gets a little different, but it doesn't get any better. And that's one thing that I feel like separates Rainmaker Smooth Cannabis from a lot of the farms that I see here in Humboldt County who have really great cannabis. Let's, let's not sugarcoat it. Like most of the cannabis we see up here is top notch, but there is that level above. There's that, there's A grade, there's double A's and there's things like this that are triple A's or even quads that are just a level above. Yeah. You know, I'm no scientist, but it could be the soil. I don't, I don't know. I'm just kind of going out on a whim there. <laughs> it has a lot to do with it, man. I, I, it, it definitely does. And my crew, like, our crew loves what they're doing, man. They are so passionate about this, and they put everything into it. And when they hear that you guys are coming out, they get so excited. They love when you guys nice. come out. That's great. I really love interacting with them. It's, it's awesome when we get out there. Some of them are wearing our T-shirts. Some of them wear smooth cannabis T-shirts. It's... Yep. It's really fun. Um, yep. And they know the consistency and the quality of your guys' product is always on point. So you've been using Royal Gold for a very long time. Yeah, since uh, Basement Mix, I don't know what year, a long time ago. Yeah, it's been over 10 years now since it hit the market. From what I know, you were one of the first customers. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a while ago. What's the nursery you were grabbing it from down there in Santa Cruz? Uh, he was one of the first guys buying Royal Gold on a consistent level, buying truckloads. Oh, it was Cal Hydro, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Nate. Nate, who now That's... works with Current Culture. He's a great guy. He's found himself meandering through many paths in the industry as well, and we've become friends over the years. Tell him I said, hey, I haven't Absolutely talked to him in a long time. Will. So we've been working together for quite some time now. You know, you've been uh, giving us some great feedback on the mixes that you have used, obviously starting off with the basement. You've done some work with the King's Mix, and again, it's just our regular tuper. Recently, we did a little R&D project where we emitted the perlite for rice holes. How's that been working out for you? Great. It's been awesome. I really like it. It's probably not for the novice grower because it takes, it's really high maintenance and we got a water two and three times a day we're feeding, but the plants absolutely love it. That's great. And that's one of the things that we feel strongly about the rice hull mixes. Um, one of the reasons there are many that we don't have a commercially available product like that right now, but it is for, it's not for the faint of heart, I should say. If you don't have a dialed in system and that relationship with your plant, it's really hard to water correctly and feed correctly in a medium that's that light. One thing about that mix that I've noticed is your nursery really thrived. Yeah, plants veg faster in that stuff than I've ever seen in my life. 
I remember planting on a Monday and the following Monday we had planted in three inches and everything was already root bound in one week. That's wow. incredible. And that's the sort of thing that really drives us at Royal Gold is working with people like you and finding opportunities to try and improve and try and see new ways to do things and getting feedback from people we can trust. It's not every day that you have that opportunity. So we, we really appreciate working with you guys on that sort of thing. Well, it's also blending trust with knowledge and experience. You know, I know plenty of people that can't grow worth a shit. I trust their opinion. Their opinion's not gonna do me any good because they're just gonna screw it up every time anyway. Yep. I love that mix. I just planted 3,500-ish clones in that blend this week. Excellent. Starting Monday. I can't wait to see how those are gonna do. They're exploding. So I'm not really familiar with how the mix with the rice holes works. I've never used it. I've used Hooper before. As far as just comparing the two, I mean, so the rice hole mix is actually drying out way quicker. What else would you say are the the differences that you see between the two? Plants grow faster. And Tuper is usually known for that. I mean, that's why Tuper sales are constantly going up. Yeah, it actually, it's actually faster than... Wow, so yeah, we call Tuper our pro mix for professional potting mix for those uh, same reasons. So this is even beyond that. It's like, the, no wonder why you call yourself a grandmaster grower. <laughs> so with a mix like that, I know you guys are running drippers as we already talked about. What's your preferred feeding style? There's so many people out there that, you know, either insist organics is better or insist, insist hydro is better. You guys have this automated feeding system. What do you guys run? Cutting edge, cutting edge for our baseline and some advanced additives. Excellent. I love the cutting edge line for its simplicity personally. Yep. And it fucking works. It works. It's clean, it's consistent. You don't find people being like, oh, this is harsh, this is chemi weed. It's, it doesn't burn rough. Uh, that's one thing that I've really always loved about cutting edge. and. It ties back to what we were talking about at the Emerald Cup, that everybody that looked at that herb was just amazed by it. And every time I've ever had anyone say, this is the best herb I've ever seen or smoked in my life, it's been cutting edge nutrients. I love organics. I'm a big fan of organics, of outdoor, of you know that biodynamic, sustainable, no-till vibe. I love it. Absolutely. It has, every, it has its place just like how this has its place. I completely agree. I feel like that's lost a lot of times with this, you know, no forgiveness, organics or nothing attitude. But there is something special about properly blended, nutraceutical grade, salt-based nutrient. It's consistent. The plants can eat it quickly. It really amazes me the results that you guys get from such a simple program. That's one of the things that I feel like a lot of new growers find themselves in the weeds because they're trying to take all these new schools of thought and all these additives. There's so many products on the market right now. And they don't know product. what a lot of them are. And you look at their like feed sheet and they're doing three of the same thing and they don't even know it. That's so true. There are supplements that make sense. Like what sort of supplements do you guys run? Not necessarily brand, but like 
you guys run sugars? What sort of stuff do you guys some add? Sugars, some aminos. That's pretty much it, huh? Yeah. Silica. Yeah, I do feel like people underestimate the importance of silica, especially when you're running like OGs. Yeah. Things that are brittle. And CalMag. Of course, CalMag. So we talk about this all the time, Rick, CalMag. Aaron, what's your feeling on CalMag? Obviously, you've been growing in Royal Gold and cocoa-based products for years, so you've been using CalMag all along. What What are your thoughts? Do you do you think people use too little, too much? What What do you do? Almost every time I go to look at somebody's garden that's having an issue, it's a CalMag deficiency. When it's just not up to par and it's not thriving how it should be, it's almost always because they're CalMag deficient. We've made jokes about that for years. And I, and I ask them, like, are you running CalMag? No, 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 we're not. Like, or usually it's way too little. It's one, one milliliter per gallon or something, yeah. you know, especially in a cocoa soil. Yeah. Yeah, no, we've made fun of that for years. It could almost put a, put that on a on a message. You call, yeah, my plants are just not looking quite right. Just have it, have it set up on, a, on on an increase of some CalMag, and that'll fix it. And I'd tell you, most of the times, nine out of ten times, that is what it is. Especially yep. if you're using a cocoa-based soil. Yep. A lot of people think they're doing, uh, they're adding a sufficient amount at three and even five milliliters per gallon. Sometimes it wants more. Some strains just just re require more. If you're feeding more, so the CalMag has to play in part with that as well. The piece that I feel like is missing a lot of times is people don't recognize that not only does your plant need to consume a certain amount of calcium and magnesium, and you know, like OGs, another example of OGs, they're magnesium hogs. They really love that extra magnesium and they actually are consuming it but you need the calcium there in the soil bonded with the coconut fiber or with the root surface to actually act as kind of the gatekeeper of the cell. And it allows the other nutrients to flow in and out. So when you have the right amount of calcium there bound to the site, it's kicking that door wide open so all those other nutrients can flow in but then you also need that available calcium in the soil to flow through the door and be consumed by the plant. And that's, I think, the piece that can get lost in the shuffle. So it, I'm really glad that you pointed that out, that that's something we talk about all the time, like you said, Rick, and we get phone calls all the time. And the first thing is, well, how much calcium and magnesium are you using? We diagnose probably 70% of the calls we get just from a few questions down to that same calcium and magnesium issue. The other thing that people don't really recognize is that calcium is one of the heaviest things that the plant takes up that it retains in its tissue. So if you're trying to get heavy, dense flowers, you gotta have that calcium there. Whether you're doing, you know, cutting edge, a three-part, you know, some elaborate house and garden, um, synthetic nutrient line that a lot of these things are top-notch nutraceutical style programs. It doesn't matter whether you're doing that or organics, you've got to have some way to facilitate that calcium. One thing that we've talked about a lot of times is how cannabis people have a sense of adventure and so many very adventurous people have a tie-in to cannabis and so many cannabis people have a tie-in to adventure. What is it that makes you tick? What, what's one of your adventure, adventurous sides? What, 
What do you do for fun? Uh, growing weed and skydiving are my two things that I do well. Um, and I do, that's what I do. I grow weed and I skydive. You're still doing Amazing. it, huh? I haven't made a jump in a minute because I'm living up here full time and just sort of doing my thing. But skydiving is a huge part of my life. I have well over 7,000 jumps under my belt. Whoa. Been on world records, was on the U.S. skydiving team, traveled all over competing, competed, I believe 2012, we were in the world championships in Dubai and our team placed seventh in the world. Well, just when you think you know somebody. <laughs> it was, that's literally all I did for a long, long time was I grew weed and skydive every day. Wow. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing to me. What, what tied those worlds together for you? What drove you into skydiving? Ah, uh, you know what? It's something I always wanted to do. And I worked with this guy that was a skydiver and he always told me about it and took me in to do a tandem one day and I was hooked. And uh, the very next weekend, I was signed up to become a student and got my certification and been do it, did AFF and been doing it ever since. Just started hopping out of planes hourly at that point? Yeah. I yeah. mean, to I mean, get there's, that days, many there's days where we would do 12 skydives in a day often. I think the most I ever did was 18 in a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. what? Wow. Did you mention the word adventurous, Michael? That blows my mind. I think I'm adventurous riding my bike through the woods, and that just absolutely is amazing to me. It's so often that there's this sense of adventure, like I said, that ties to cannabis. And I, I really often wonder, why is it that people with such a huge sense of adventure end up in the cannabis world? And sometimes I think it's that adrenaline that growing weed 20 years ago brought us all because it was a constant nerve-wracking battle, right? We were in a different place in time. Yeah, it was a constant, like, it was alive, man. The fucking hills were alive. Skydiving, it's alive. It's what's going on right fucking now. Like, you don't care about anything else. It's what's going on right now. The group that I'm with, what we're doing, how fast we're going, it's right fucking now. And with growing cannabis, it's the same thing, sort of. Well, it's not the same thing, but it's New strains. New it, strains like jumping out of yeah, a plane, yeah, isn't true. it? It's fast pace. Yeah, one of the things that really ties into me is it's you're existing in the moment. Absolutely. There's no time to be thinking about other things. There's no distractions. When you're like, you're knee deep in that Nexus greenhouse pop, popped up on top of your rolling tables and you're looking at the sunset sherbet table you're analyzing those plants, you're all in it. And I gotta imagine, I've never jumped out of an airplane, but I gotta imagine that it takes your focus in that same way. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, I've always struggled with being present and growing weed, like when I'm in the garden and I'm just present, like that's what's going on. I'm present, I'm with the plants, like my anxiety's been lifted, and I'm with the plants and it's just, it's, I'm present. And same with skydiving. Like it doesn't matter what's going on with the world. Like I'm present. It's, wow. it's a trip. It's, for me, it's not so much an adrenaline rush anymore as it's like meditative and just like, it's my happy place. Wow. That really speaks to me. Um, I feel like 
a lot of folks like myself who have maybe trouble staying focused on things. I don't like to just sit in front of the computer and you know focus on emails and files all day. I can't really stay focused on one thing in that way for a long time unless it really captivates me. And that first thing that really captivated me like that was growing and growing cannabis, working in the earth and doing those things and hands in the dirt, hands on the cannabis, noticing the differences from day to day as if you've never flowered a plant, you don't know what I'm talking about, but the journey of watching a plant, a cannabis plant go from vegging to finished every single day, it's different. And you can notice those changes and you really, to me, it, it strikes that meditative chord like you were saying. And cannabis led me into music and meditation in a big way. And I see how you can have that same like feeling flying through the air. People think of jumping out of an airplane as this terrifying thing, but I gotta imagine at least that once, once you're out of the airplane, all that's left behind and you're flying. Yeah, absolutely. I don't like to be scared. I don't like scaring the shit out of myself. Like this is far from it. I like, the, the, this keeps me sane. This is my sanity. It's my passion, I guess. That sounds stupid, but. Not at all, especially being here in the passion studios. It's something I reference all the time because if you're not doing something you're passionate about, you're just wasting time. That's one thing we've, discovered in this world and Rick and I were talking about it the other day when we were talking about Royal Grown and this is another thing I wanted to throw at you Aaron. Royal Grown's a, a phrase that we use a lot to talk about you know tie-ins with Royal Gold of course but it's about more than that to us and I I was saying that it's you know a passion a lifestyle um, an emotion and it's about growing community and growing oneness with yourself and growing that meditative side. And, you know, what's that mean to you when, when you hear Royal Grown and think about some of the same things we've just been talking about? How does that resonate to you? I mean, the few keywords jump out in quality, consistency, and community, like you said. Right on. Like, you guys, your customer service, like, you guys are so on point every time I have a question, either you or Rick is there and answers it, gets it done. It's pretty awesome. The quality of the Royal Gold product has always been there for us. It's always, we've always been able to hit it out of the park with Royal Gold products. And that means a lot to us. We're, we're passionate about it like you're passionate about cannabis and we're passionate about cannabis. So it's easy to share that love. Yeah, and what else? Like you guys make it easy for us. Like you guys make it easy for us. That's one thing, one less thing I have to worry about. Is our medium going to be clean? Is it going to get here on time? Is, is it going to be on par? Like it, it just always works. That's another great thing that you mentioned, the cleanliness. That's something we're passionate about as well. And we've worked for years to hone that cleanliness in different ways. So you guys are a licensed California producer. One of the biggest hurdles that we faced, you know, five years ago is as this industry emerged and all the testing emerged, getting through that testing and people were failing their tests for pesticides, fungicides, heavy metals, and all of these things. What's been your experience with getting your product through the testing hurdles? 
we haven't had any issues. Everything, everything's testing clean. Everything's tested clean since day one. That's amazing. Yeah, and w that's one less thing we have to worry about. Is our soil clean? Is our cocoa clean? That's Sweet. great. I got a question for you. You know, there's uh, dueling methods out there I see with a lot of uh, commercial facilities where you can either take the approach of growing a, you know, as many strains as you can get your hands on or just kind of limiting going for just maybe a small handful and really, you know, f focusing and really, you know, mastering, you know, in quotes, master uh those few strains and really just kind of diving in Ooh, diving i'm throwing all kinds of keywords <laughs> out there you know instead of, i've just seen a, a a mix between a lot of the farms that i've visited in the last couple of years where very drastic differences you're either doing three and crushing it and really really doing them well or you're doing 80 different strains i don't really see a lot of, of people doing you know 20 or 30. it's always it's either the, the extremes which, uh, where, do you, where do you go there with Rainmaker Farms? I don't, I don't like to go nuts with a million different strains. I wish I could grow all OG, to be honest with you. But in today's market, it's not really viable. Um, we definitely have a few strains, and we definitely have a few strains that I would like to call out. I mean, I understand both sides, but if you own a dispensary and you have a big farm, you probably need to have 30 or 40 different varieties to keep your shelves stocked. I would like to just keep like six strains going at all times and have like an R&D section where I'm trying out new strains here and there. I, I love that style where you're focusing on your strengths. You, you learn a strain and it can kind of be your flagship brand. Yeah. And as cannabis has become so much about branding, that's an important aspect to consider. And we've really seen the smooth cannabis brand starting to emerge as one of the leaders. And I do believe in large part because of the consistency you guys do. Oh, what's the lemon? Eliminati. The Eliminati. That is absolutely one of the most fantastic strains that I have ever consumed delicious, very, very uplifting. It gets behind your eyes, but not in a knock you down and lock you to the couch sort of way. I can get something done after I consume that product. And I, I see why it makes sense to focus on your strengths. You find a couple genetics that work, you stick with them. And as you see them start to, you know, Excel, you may bring one or two more into R&D, like you're saying, and drop one or two that just aren't as successful. But I think for branding, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. The Illuminati, like we're known for that. Like that's, that's one of the staples of the brand. Last year, we went down and did a party in Santa Rosa with uh, some of the guys from Smooth Cannabis that was just absolutely incredible. It was a wine pairing and cannabis pairing meal and event. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever participated in. There were people there, a lot of great people sharing wine, pouring wines, talking about the wines. And then there were all these pre-rolls. And what stood out to me is sipping this Cabernet, I believe it was, 
with the Illuminati. And they were talking to us about, okay, so now I want you to take a sip of the wine and hold it in your mouth and then take a draw off the joint, inhale it, hold it in, aerate the wine and swallow it and then exhale the cannabis. And, and I've never had a flavor experience like I had at that event. And I thought it was just so cool that the people from your team facilitated this and were bringing this experience like no other. And it, it was actually funny. It's in conjunction. It was the release of the Growing Exposed episode yeah. with all the Green Planet guys, uh, Justin from Green Planet and Growing Exposed, Jeremy from Green Planet and Growing Exposed were there. And it's just one more thing that highlights the passion that Aaron, you have for growing that your team has for bringing the best product they possibly can to market in, in a way that speaks to people. So we really appreciate the opportunity to work with you guys. We really appreciate what you bring to the table, what you share with us for feedback. It all means a lot. I think that this industry needs more cooperation between companies like ours and companies like yours to continue to push the envelope and make this world better. Absolutely. I firmly believe that we all do better when we work together. Aaron, what are your views on the future here with cannabis, whether it being in the state of California where we are or nationwide and even beyond? I think nationwide, I think we're in the first inning as far as like legal cannabis goes. We're in the first inning. It's who knows where it's going to go. It's anyone's game. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, we're seeing states like Missouri and Oklahoma coming online and their industries are just em emerging with such strength, very similar to what California did back in 1996. We get to see it every day and, and meet people from that part of the country. And it's mind-blowing, obviously, coming from where we started off with this 20 and 25 years ago. Some of those are some of the last states we ever thought would be in this situation. Those were the worst states you could possibly get caught with a joint in. Absolutely. Nevada's another one. Yeah. You know, those, those billboards that used to say 30 to life for possession of a couple of seeds in your car, now they're advertising cannabis all over the city. Wow. It, that's baffling to me. And I personally, that really resonates with me again. To see where we are now... It's just amazing to me that they're allowing people to grow cannabis and encouraging it and their population will be better served for it. I think that it's really important to start to pay attention to these places that were so anti that have come full circle and look at how it's affecting the people. That's one thing that really blew me away when I first came to California after being grown in the Midwest is this people smoking a joint on the corner and just being relaxed about it and feeling comfortable and the general vibe of people was better. I remember seeing children that were born and raised in the 70s and the 80s in communities and towns in Northern California with parents that were very open about their cannabis use. And I remember that was the thing that I remember just kind of almost studying those, those kids that grew up in that culture to just kind of examine, like, well, they don't seem screwed up like everybody told me they were going to be. And you know, their parents were out there smoking and probably growing out in the open. Their kids had been exposed to it their whole lives. And, uh, and they were all 
just great people. We're friends with a lot of them today, obviously. And uh, yeah, that's definitely one of those things where you step out and to an area and you see that this is something that's going to spread. It's just getting past that stigma, showing people that it's not the devil's lettuce like you thought. Yeah, and I really like what you said, Aaron, about it's in the first inning. Yeah. There's so much more to this ball game to come. There's really a lot to emerge. There's a lot of exciting things that are going to happen. There's probably going to be a lot of scary things that happen. But but that's just a really cool way of looking at it, I think, that we're in a game here of convincing the powers that be, so to speak, that this isn't a bad thing for our economy and for our society. And the more we work together with passion and kindness to bring the best product to market, clean product to market, you guys are bringing the best cannabis in the world to market, and it's changing people's perspectives. And you know, I just wanna say thank you for all you guys have done, for all you have brought to the table and all you continue to do for the cannabis industry. Cool, thank you. And I'll say on that subject, just as far as the ball game and the, and the home run that seems to have been hit out of the park with everything that we're going through right now, how amazing is it that cannabis was deemed an essential business throughout all this? It fucking blows me away, man. A couple of years ago, they wanted to lock us up. Now we're essential. Incredible, right? Essential services. Cool. Cool, I guess. I, it's, <laughs> it, it blows me away, sort of. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's a really hard thing to wrap my head around being from Michigan and having left there in the early 2000s because I was fearful. And they won't let garden centers open, but dispensaries are good to go now. It's really an interesting thing when you start looking at it from that perspective is, yeah, they were locking you up for this and now they'll lock you up if you're not providing it. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Different days. We've been here, Royal Grown Radio, with Aaron from Rainmaker. Thanks for coming today, Aaron. We really appreciate you. Look forward to the next time we get to come out to the farm and visit. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd love to stop by again. You guys are awesome. Can we smoke a joint now? I think now is the time that we roll a joint. Oh, man, this is going to be so good. Tune in for the next episode of Royal Grown Radio, where we jump into the world of true heart connection. With founder Uriah, we'll learn about his farm growing in Trinity County, as well as fireworks and one wheeling through life.